Good evening, LCM. Good evening. Tonight is November 24th, 2021. And our sermon title tonight is The Most Expensive Thanksgiving Ever. Y'all in for a history lesson. Yeah, maybe you guys know a little bit of some, something about that. See, tonight we truly have something special for you guys. We have something to truly be thankful for. Now, when we say thankful, we're not talking about turkey or cornbread, if you're from Port Arthur. Cornbread. <laughs> cornbread, bro. But really what we're talking about is for the revelation that our good father is given us to teach us, to teach us how to live faithfully in our historical context. Just as the book of Daniel, just as the book of Daniel we've been learning from foundations is instructing us. Church, I want to encourage you guys that our Father is filling our storehouses with gratefulness, our families with purpose, and our body with revelation. Come on. All right, now y'all going to interact with us tonight? We'll come out and touch you. We don't care. We've been given the green light from the pastors. It's not a school night. We ain't got to go to work tomorrow. Now, we know that tomorrow is Thanksgiving, and the whole nation is going to be consumed with the idea that this Thanksgiving is the most expensive Thanksgiving ever. Yeah. Apparently, that's what's been going around is this is the, the most expensive Thanksgiving ever. That's, that's kind of funny. Because if you think about it, it's rather silly. It is. This, the most expensive Thanksgiving ever. When you think back to the times of our forefathers and the first Thanksgiving, remember that men were dying and they still expressed thankfulness. Yeah. Most, thank, most expensive Thanksgiving ever. Now, when we say forefathers, if you thought we were talking about pilgrims, that's pretty silly. We're talking about our spiritual forefathers. Because you really don't see a resemblance. I don't see a resemblance between me and the original pilgrims. No, it's, it's the beard. I, just, I need the elders to pray for the beard. The beard. And my we, brother's from Nigeria here, and they don't do turkeys on Thanksgiving. Yeah, it's absolutely true. We have the most athletic chickens you can find in <laughs> Africa. <laughs> it's true. You can get them right around the corner, too. they kill them right in front of you. You guys ready to jump into scripture? We need to. Come on. Let's turn to Genesis 41. And when you get there, say, the most expensive Thanksgiving ever. When the, fa- Get it. <laughs> when the famine had spread over the whole country, oil reserves are going, running dry. Yeah. Joseph opened all the storehouses and sold grain to the Egyptians, for the famine was severe throughout Egypt. Now, even though there will be feasting across this nation tomorrow, all across the nation, the majority of the nation will be starved out from the manna of the heavenly revelation of God's word. Now, what they'll be forced to salivate over is dry turkey and overgrown men trying to kill themselves over a ball. Which, when you think about it, pigskin is not kosher. Ain't that right, Tristan? But you're not going to be doing that, LCM, are we? We're not going to be doing that. God has opened his storehouses to you and I, 
and we will be, a, we will be feasting on the abundance of his house. His sovereign hand has guided us through the badlands to this point in our history. And we are becoming more and more powerful. Say that. More and more powerful. Speaking of becoming more and more powerful, let's take a look at this familiar slide. You guys remember this slide from this past Sunday? Yeah. While you're staring at the screens, we're going to read to you Deuteronomy 8.3. Listen to this. He humbled you. Causing you to hunger and then feeding you with manna, which neither you nor your ancestors had known, to teach you that man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. CLCM, the Lord is doing something special in our body. He is stirring up a special kind of hunger in the midst of our badlands so that he can teach us that all we need in any given situation is his word that comes from him. See, that same word, the word from our father, instructs us in the fear of the Lord and drowns out every taunt, every fiery arrow of the enemy. See, his word emboldens us to build the outer terraces, the areas of our lives that are the most vulnerable because our king strengthens the work of our hands as we do so. That same word, say that same word, helps us to grow in our confidence. See, in this country, we're used to elected politicians that promise us better things, better circumstances as they come into power. Better gas prices. But the reality is they rarely ever fulfilled their word. But our king, our father, when he makes a promise, he actually delivers. See, his word is faithful, and his word gives us a confidence to build up mighty, fighting men all around us. And see, church, this, this is how we become more and more powerful. Say more and more powerful. powerful. Sunday, we were encouraged by the examples of David, Jehoshaphat, Mordecai, and Ananias, men who grew more and more powerful in the midst of intense difficulty and persecution. Did they not? In the most difficult of moments, it seems like the God of heaven, the God of, that gives revelation, dims the lights all around his people Israel so that they might shine like the stars he called them to be. Yeah. This is going to be important for our body as we continue to move ahead in the days that are coming, in the dark days that are coming. Yeah. It will be important that we know that it's not uh, for this darkness that we should run and hide and shrink back. It's actually so that we can stand and testify to the truth just like Daniel and his friends did. Let's pick up here with another man who was filled with more and more power in Habakkuk 3, 17. Say there as you go there. (laughs) Now the context of this passage isn't one of military conquest or great victory. And yet, the writer has a revelation of the sovereignty of his God that we want to be in us tonight. Church, tonight we're going to engage with the scripture. We're not just, you're not sitting through a service and we're not just preaching. We are engaging with the scripture and we're doing that together. That sound like something you want to do? Theologians put Habakkuk as prophesying around 606 to 604 BC. This is right around the time of Jehoiakim's reign. We pick up in Daniel 1 because you're studying Daniel, aren't you? You're getting revelation out of Daniel? When you pick up in Daniel, it says that we're in the third year of Jehoiakim's reign. 
Jehoiakim's reign started at 609 B.C. So this puts Habakkuk right around the time of the first siege, right around the time that Daniel went into captivity, right around the time where Jerusalem was being raised to the ground and it was being burned. This is the first siege of Jerusalem. Now, we know some in this room are familiar with this verse, very, very intimate with it, whether it was a personal word you received or ever even heard in foundations. But we want to look at it with fresh eyes this evening because it's not enough for us to just look at the word of truth. We want the word of truth to engage with us, and we, would, we want to become more like the men that we're reading about. Do you want to do that? Yeah. Well, let's engage with this passage. Check out verse 17. Though the fig tree should not blossom, and I'm reading from the ESV. Though the fig tree should not blossom, nor fruit be on the vines, the produce of the olive fail, and the fields yield no food. The flock be cut off from the fold, and there be no herd in the stalls. LCM, right now in this present moment, our entire nation is completely up in, is an uproar in the last few months because of inflation and sh a shipping crisis. You guys familiar with what's going on out there in California? You know, Bim, it's a country song that says, the cost of living is high and growing up. That's <laughs> to my fans of country music. <laughs> but you guys see this all over the news, right? There's inflation, there's a shipping crisis out there in the Pacific. You've even noticed that gas, gas prices have gone up a dollar more. Oh, no, right? We, people are complaining about their treadmills not arriving on time from Amazon. Their, their favorite... Exactly. This is not New Year's. It's Thanksgiving. They're, they're, they're going to their favorite HEB and Costco and Kroger or wherever it is you shop, and you're realizing that your favorite items at the store are not available. But church, come on, let's engage with Habakkuk 317. When you read something like fig tree not blossoming, no fruit on the vines, your produce is failing, your fields are yielding no food, your flocks have been cut off, cut off and there are no herds. When we compare our present circumstances to what we're reading here, Habakkuk 3, our present circumstances pale in comparison. Yeah. What we're reading here in Habakkuk 3 is extraordinary. There's difficulty that is at hand. He's in a situation that is dismal, and yet we see that there's thanksgiving. LCM, this is not a first world problem. This is a bad land. This is bad land to the T. Yeah. Things are not good. This is a desert. It's a wasteland. This is a grim situation. And what we notice here about Habakkuk is that he's not just looking at the circumstances and saying, hey, this is just going to be a tough one. Or I might just have to walk a greater distance to, to eat some lunch today. No, no, no. What he's talking about here in verse 17, LCM, it hits closer to home. You guys ever identify with that? You read something on the news, just like, okay, you just move on because it has nothing to do with you. But when something is taking place in your hometown, it's taking place on your turf, on your porch, it hits closer to home. Well, this is Habakkuk's situation that we're reading here. He's looking at the status of Jerusalem, and it's desolate. The enemy's taunts are louder than ever. The low places are exposed, and they are broken down. Israel is being scattered in captivity. Can you imagine that imagery? If we can go back in time and stand next to this man of God, could you imagine the things that he's looking at and seeing? Hold up, hold up, Ben. They're not, they're not talking to us. Can, can y'all imagine what Habakkuk is, is, is dealing with right now? Let's, I'm a, we're going to put that in our context. Or because I got one with the, I'm the one with the mic. My context. You got difficulties in your workplace, right? You got difficulties with babies. You got difficulties with brothers. You got just plain old difficulties. 
Now, these, these difficulties don't like to stay in their little box of, okay, I have just a problem with the car. Or I just have this issue with this project that I'm working on. Have you ever had it happen to you where these difficulties start to work their way around the promises that God gave you? Yeah. Oh, you screw that up. You're not going to be able to do what God called you to do. Oh, you, you can't get this right. Oh, you, you, you're not going to go where God prophesied that you're going to go. Can, can, can y'all integrate, engage with that? Yeah. Can you interact with that and say that? That's kind of what we see here in Habakkuk's time, that these aren't, just one, these aren't just isolated issues that he's experiencing. Oh, they, they, they destroyed the storehouses, no food. Oh, they, they raised the walls down to the ground, no, no, no worship. No, these promises are coming directly for the promise of God in Israel. This is incredible. You guys notice the type of verbiage he's using here? Fig trees, fruits, produce of the olive, fell, the flocks and herds. See, what cuts the deepest in this passage is that the things that are taking place, the status of things right now in Israel in Habakkuk's day, they seem to be in direct opposition to what God promised Israel. He's thinking back to the promises that God made to Abraham, the promises that God made to his forefathers. Back to when the Lord spoke through Moses to the entire nation of Israel. You guys want to see this? Yeah. Check out Deuteronomy 8. We'll put it on the screen. You guys can turn there. Deuteronomy 8, pick it up in verse 6. Say, most expensive Thanksgiving ever as you turn there. Most expensive Thanksgiving ever. Yeah. <laughs> Observe the commands of the Lord your God. Walking in his ways and revering him. For the Lord your God is bringing you into a good land. A land with streams and pools of water. With springs flowing in the valleys and hills. A land with wheat and barley. Vines and fig trees. Pomegranates, olive oil, and honey. A land where bread will not be scarce. And you will lack nothing. A land where the rocks are iron and you can dig copper out of the hills. Says so we engage with this, can you hear the echo of Deuteronomy 8's promise turned on its head in, in Habakkuk's day? Yes. Comparing Deuteronomy 8 with Habakkuk 3, the Lord promised them all these amazing things. Vines, fig trees, olive oil. But it's been turned on its head at this time. And it's, Jerusalem is being ransacked. It's being destroyed and taken over by the Babylonians. The first captivity is underway. Fields are on fire, and he is watching his countrymen being killed and going into captivity. And in the midst of all this, what we want to, the, 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 the crux of what we feel like the Lord wants to say to our body today. In the midst of all this, listen to what this man of God says. Look at verse 18. Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. Say yet. Yet I will take joy in the God of my salvation. This man of God is standing in a situation that's absolutely dismal. And it's, it's, it's attacking the very promises of God. And he's able to look at that situation, not hearing it secondhand, not thirdhand. He's not reading some book. He's living in it. And he said, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful. I will take joy in God of my salvation. LCM. Can you, can, you, can you wrestle with this? Can you engage what Habakkuk is doing here? Can you see how extraordinary this is? That a man is finding joy in the midst of difficulty. He says, yet I will rejoice. I will be joyful in the midst of it. He has something to be thankful for and he has no food. 
Look at this. Even though the promises of God seem to be uprooted, cut down, destroyed, transported into another land, even though there seems to be nothing but a stump left to die, Chris Riosora. He's saying, yet I will rejoice. Say, yet. yet. Say, yet I will rejoice. Yet I will rejoice. See, LCM, we have to take joy in our king. This is the attitude that he's trying to cultivate in this body. This is what he's working to birth inside of you, Steve Thomas. Because as things get darker, as the light gets dimmer, as situations and circumstances become more tense, joy must be cultivated in our lives. When we read Habakkuk's response here in verse 18, it is inspiring. It's uplifting. I had goosebumps when I read it. Notice here that he's not blaming the current administration for the circumstances that he's standing in. Nor is he distracted by the political agenda to divide a nation over race. No, no. None of these things are taking place in his day. Rather, we were impressed by this man's deep conviction that he had faith. And he demonstrated, he demonstrated this kind of faith through his joy and his thankfulness. LCM, we can grow in this. I know I can grow in this. Not allowing present situations that compound upon each other to dictate how I feel about a situation. Habakkuk is rejoicing in his God. He's taking joy in his king. LCM, this is the same conviction of character that will rise in our hearts tonight as we imitate this type of faith. Do you want that, LCM? Do you want this same kind of conviction of character that Habakkuk had? Well, we can have it. Think about it. Do things, do, are things going to get better for us than they did for Habakkuk? No, he, it was pretty dismal. And yet, yet he rejoiced in the Lord as God. You have to imagine when you're reading Habakkuk 3, like where did he get this from? Where, where did he get this joy from? In the midst of such a difficult circumstances. And we know that men of God are not made in a vacuum. We, we know these things. Where is Habakkuk's joy being inspired from? Perhaps we can take what Apostle Paul wrote when he referred to this in Romans 15. Look at Romans 15, 4. It says this, for everything, say everything. Everything. That was written in the past was written to teach us so that through endurance and the encouragement of scripture, of the scriptures, we might have hope. Church, when Paul wrote this, the New Testament had not been compiled at that point. He wasn't walking around with the, the, the 27 books that he wrote, obviously. He was walking around with what? The Tanakh. He had the Tanakh. And Habakkuk was walking through the very same things. Habakkuk had the Torah, at least. He had the writings of Moses and the prophets who had gone before him. He had the inspired writings of men like Isaiah, and he was living in the times of Jeremiah. And they had taught him that through their experience, he should have a certain kind of attitude. Church, what we need in this place is a certain kind of attitude. Little Israeli aggression, a vigorous hope. Things that are written to encourage him that he might have hope. And just as he knew the promises of Deuteronomy 8, His joy tapped into those promises. His joy tapped into that hope. And that is the very same thing that has been laid before us. 
Now, we said we want the same kind of character and conviction that Habakkuk had, right? We have the very same revelation that God gave him. It's been laid before us. Do you want to tap into that ancient source? All right. Let's turn to Deuteronomy 30, verse 4, and let's tap in. Say, most expensive Thanksgiving ever as you go there. Check this out. Deuteronomy 30, verse 4. Even if you've been banished to the most distant land under the heavens, from there the Lord your God will gather you and bring you back. He will bring you to the land that belonged to your ancestors, and you will take possession of it. He will make you more prosperous and numerous than your ancestors. Just like Habakkuk had the Torah and the prophets, he had the scriptures, and he knew in the sovereignty of his God. He knew that the Lord would bring his nation back. That's why he can look at the circumstances that he's standing and say, yet I will rejoice. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. You guys remember Daniel chapter 2 from Foundations? Man, did you enjoy that? You remember the rock that has cut out the mountain? See, we talked about God's sovereignty. We talked about the Gentile nations that were going to rule. And at the end of the ages, God's kingdom reigns. And at the end of the ages, the nation of Israel will be restored and the Messiah reigning forever. See, Habakkuk had this type of revelation. He didn't allow the present circumstances to, to rock his boat. He stood firm because he had a spiritual spine. And we can learn in this way. See, this called him, this caused him. This revelation caused him to find strength in his God in the midst of the darkest times imaginable. And in that point in Israel's history, it was the darkest time. They had a nation invaded them. And you can hear, you can hear that even in the midst of this, look at his resolve in verse 19. All right, as you go to Habakkuk 3, 19, I want to point out something in Deuteronomy 5. You notice that he said he will bring you back. You will take possession, and he will make you more, profit, more, more prosperous. Church, these are definitive statements from the Lord. This is God's Torah to his people, his covenant with them. When we read the definitive statements as, of God as definitive, meaning it's not a maybe, it's not a he might, he said he will bring them back, we will find this very same confidence no longer wavering in our own thoughts, no longer wavering in what it looks like today, no longer wavering in the, the, the fluctuating value of our value, just like the gas prices are fluctuating. No, our value is fixed. Our God's promises are fixed. His faithfulness is fixed. And you know what? We're being cut out of a rock just like he, like he is. Back at 319 says, God, the Lord is my strength. He makes my feet like the deer's. He makes me tread on my high places. Church, just like a Habakkuk who had the scriptures, we have those very same scriptures made more certain. More certain. Like it says in 2 Peter first, uh, chapter 1, verse 19. And you have the words of the prophets made more certain. Say more certain. More certain. And you will do well to pay attention to it. As to a light shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. Church, what was written before our time was to teach us, strengthen us, and embolden us 
in our present day. Through them, we tap into the joy that is ours in Christ. Through them, we find strength in the sovereignty of God that is ours in Christ. Church, every circumstance, God is sovereign. Every situation, God is sovereign. And we have the scriptures to direct our strength and tell us how we should walk in our historical context. Turn with us to Psalm 73, verse 25. When you get there, it said the most expensive things given ever. <laughs> Having so much fun with that, but y'all. Some of y'all are long-winded. Yeah. Look at verse 25. Whom have I in heaven but you? And earth has nothing I desire besides you. You got to read that again, Ben. Whom have, I, whom have I in heaven but you? And earth has nothing I desire besides you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. Come on. LCM, it's no accident that the progression we see here in the book of Habakkuk in chapter 3, 17 through 19, starts with him rejoicing, and then he's strengthened. Church, there is a symbiotic relationship between being joyful and being strengthened. You guys ever heard that scripture from Nehemiah 8.10, the, yeah. the joy of the Lord is my strength? Now, now Bill, as we talk about that, we're not talking about the joy that just causes you to smile. That's good. I, I smile more than most of you. <laughs> but that's not what we're talking about. <laughs> I don't know about all that now. <laughs> we're not talking about just the joy that, okay, let me... Put a smile on my face. Think about the joy in Nehemiah's context. Think about rejoicing in Habakkuk's context. Everything that you know is burning to the ground. And yet, they find a strength. They find a resolve that does not come by human will. It doesn't come just because you want it bad enough. No, they tapped into something that is heavenly, something that is supernatural. You ever got, gotten some news? Most times, let's say it's with, with your family, with your wife, your kid, you heard they get into an accident or something happens. The immediate reaction, the immediate, the, the, the blood rushes to your face, face. Me, I get hot all of a sudden. Like, man, what was that? In those moments, at that time, that is where it's called for to have a supernatural joy that rejoices in the Lord. It says, not my present circumstance, not my ability to just tough through it. But the sovereignty of my God will call me to rejoice in this matter. That is what we're grabbing hold of tonight. It's almost like Hebrews 12, right? For the joy set before him, he endured the cross. This is the pattern of the kingdom. And this is what the Lord is teaching us here tonight. We learned that in the midst of difficulty, we learned that in the midst of a dark circumstance, we are to be joyful, rejoicing in the God of our salvation, taking joy by force. So the enemy works very hard to take our joy away, but we have to make sure that we're maintaining joy in the midst of difficulty. Think about when David is running away from Saul. Think about when he's being hunted down and he's still writing the Psalms that are blessing us to this day. So we must cultivate joy. In Habakkuk 3.19, when he says, he makes my feet like the deer's. He makes me tread on my high places. That first word make there. In Habakkuk 3.19 is Hebrew Strong's number 7760 CM. And it's also, it also means to appoint, commit, or ordain. So think about this. He says he makes my feet like that of a deer. He appoints my feet. 
He commits my feet. He ordains my steps. Why, why, did he, why did he mention deer here? He could have mentioned any other animal. Why did he mention deer, Sloan? Have you ever hunted a deer before? How easy is it to kill a deer? No. No, they're not a turkey. You can kill a turkey easily. <laughs> we're going to fry some tomorrow. Buy one honey bacon. But when we're talking about a deer, they're nimble on their feet. They hear things and they, they move quickly. Deers are able to navigate through hard and difficult terrain. And what Habakkuk is saying here is the Lord makes me as nimble as a deer. As I am joyful in the midst of the circumstances, my God will strengthen me and he will ordain, commit, appoint my feet in the direction that I must go. LCM, this is what we're aspiring to be. This is what we're cultivating in our homes and this is what we're fighting for. Think about in the time of Mordecai. Think about God's sovereignty in that situation. Every place that the Jews have been, every nation have been, they've always had people trying to kill them. And yet they're cultivating joy. They're leaning on their God and they're watching him come through again and again and again. And we can see the sovereign hand of their king. This is how we grow. This is how the kingdom builds on top of itself. Church, we can have this joy. Yeah. We can have hope. We can have and we will have confidence to know that the outcome is absolutely certain. The psalm says that the, his word is eternal. It stands firm in the heavens. The words that he has given to the Korah family, it stands firm in the heavens. And you can be joyful. You can be hopeful. You can be confident in what the Lord is doing. In your circumstances, LCM, can you look beyond what you can see with your natural eyes and see God's sovereignty and in, in his plan in it? Man, we're standing on the stage and we're saying God's sovereign power is at work in our lives. There is no way we could be here without his hand working in our lives. And it's true for all of us in here. So what type of attitude should we have? We should be joyful. We should be thankful. This is the time to praise our living God. Yeah. See, when you first born again, when, when we first born again, God fills us with joy. He fills us with power. He fills us with revelation. And as we mature... It feels further away. It feels like those moments uh, come at longer and longer increments. But the thing about maturing is that we learn to ignore what our feelings say. I'm, I'm not waiting for my feelings to catch up and do the good that I know I ought to do. I'm not waiting for my feelings to catch up and feel the way I should feel. It really doesn't matter. I'm doing the good that I know I ought to do. Why? Because my God is sovereign. Because he is faithful. Ibrahim, he is faithful. He has appointed your steps. He has appointed you to stand. We're not talking about standing like Bambi. And that's a sad movie. But we're not talking about that. We're talking about being able to stand in the most difficult circumstances where the enemy is coming for you, trying to take the promises of God in your life. And yet, he causes you to stand, to be nimble, to be able to navigate through whatever is coming. We serve and belong to a faithful God. And it, it gives us the kind of attitude that we see in Psalm 27. Pick it up in verse 13. It says, I am still confident of this. I will see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Come on, Itai. Wait for the Lord. Be strong and take heart and wait for the Lord. These were men. Men like Mordecai, men like David, 
Men like Habakkuk. Their joy and confidence didn't fluctuate like the price of oil. They stood resolute on what God originally said and had faith. These were men who knew the character and the sovereignty of their God, that he exalts his name and his word above all, and he's not going to let it fall to the ground. So it is with you, LCM, because you already know the ultimate outcome. All tomorrow's trials is doing is teaching you to rejoice in the God of your salvation. Today's frustration is emboldening you to take joy by force. Did you hear what Habakkuk said? I will take joy in the Lord. I'm not waiting for it. I'm not waiting for it to come to me. No, I'm going to take joy by force. Do you know that he has appointed your feet to stand triumphantly over bleak circumstances? This is the kind of revelation that will inspire a real Thanksgiving year-round, 24-7, remembering the promises of God, remembering his faithfulness. And that kind of thanks, that kind of, that kind of thanks has a product. It produces something. It's not just consuming. This kind of revelation, this kind of thanks, it will cause you to grow more and more resolute in the fear of the Lord. Not fearing the taunts of the enemies, not giving them any time, but only fearing the Lord. It will inspire you to engage the outer terraces, the things that you've been ashamed of, the things that have been a little, a little too far out of your scope to handle. It will cause you to engage them like never before because you know the faithfulness of your God. You know that he is appointing your feet to stand on the heights and go wherever you must go. You will find great confidence in building up, great confidence and great joy in building up the mighty men around you. Finding, finding your success in their success. That is what having a fear of the Lord does. That is, what, that is what knowing the character and the sovereignty of your God does. If we do what he said to do, the outcome is certain. And we will grow more and more powerful together in this church. What I love about Psalm 27 is when it starts off, David is talking about his enemies that are encamped around him. And verse 13 and 14 is the last verses of this psalm. And he doesn't say that I'll be somewhat confident in this. He literally stands and he says, I will still be confident of this. I will see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait for the Lord, be strong and take heart and wait for the Lord. Man, can we engage with this passage tonight? We, We can and we absolutely will. That I will be confident. Say, we will be confident. We will be confident. We say to the enemy, come and take it. We will be confident. We will be confident. Because we know in the king that we trust. In Isaiah chapter 33, we see that the people of God echo this same type of attitude. But it picks up in verse 2 and it says this. Isaiah 33 picking up in verse 2 in the ESV. Oh, Lord, be gracious to us. We wait for you. Be our arm every morning, our salvation in the time of trouble. At the tumultuous noise, peoples flee. When you lift yourself up, nations are scattered, and your spoil is gathered as a caterpillar gathers. As locusts leap, it is leapt upon. Verse 5, the Lord is exalted, for he dwells on high. He will fill Zion with justice and righteousness, and he will be the stability of your times abundance of salvation wisdom and knowledge the fear of the lord is zion's treasure come on church we can be absolutely armed with confidence armed with the revelation of the sovereignty of our god 
that we will build in the midst of dark times. As church closes and people run and scatter all over the place, we will shine all the more brighter. You notice here in Isaiah 33 that Isaiah wasn't waiting on the release from the release of oil from the strategic oil reserves or any other meaningless or empty gesture. No, Isaiah's treasure is in the fear of his God. And he is blessed with an abundance of salvation, wisdom, and knowledge. Come on. Man, I am so thankful I'm a Gentile and I'm grafted into the faith. Yeah. Because when we have a fear of God, the same thing takes place for us. We are blessed with an abundance of salvation, an abundance of wisdom and revelation and knowledge. LCM, this is what we're driving home tonight. We must be joyful. Matter of fact, we will be yeah. joyful in the midst of circumstance. Check out 2 Corinthians chapter 6. As you turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 6, I want to highlight in Isaiah 33, 6. He said that he would be the stability of our times. He would be the stability of your times. No, this is in the midst of persecution. This is in the midst of difficulty. Not without it. The stability in your times. We don't need... Uh, uh, great prices at the pump. We don't need cheap turkey. We need stability in our God that comes from meditating on his sovereign nature, that comes from meditating on the joy that is our strength because we trust in him. That's what we need. That's what our Thanksgiving is going to be about. And it's not going to be a one-day affair. In 2 Corinthians 6, picking up in verse 4, it says, rather, as servants of God, we commend ourselves in every way, in great endurance, in troubles, in hardships, and distresses, in beatings, imprisonments, and riots, in hard work, sleepless nights, and in hunger, in purity, understanding, patience, and kindness, in the Holy Spirit, and in sincere love, in truthful speech, and in the power of God, with weapons of righteousness in the right hand and in the left right and a left, through glory and dishonor, bad report and good report, genuine yet regarded as imposters, known yet regarded as unknown, dying yet we live on, beaten yet not killed, so sorrowful yet always rejoicing. Let's repeat that. Always rejoicing. Poor yet making many rich. Having nothing yet possessing everything. Church, we are not captive to the conspiracies of the world. Come on, yeah. We don't fear what they fear. We don't worry about what they worry about. We have one sole goal. We have one mission, and that is to bring and establish the kingdom of God on the earth. That is to see that Israel is, is exalted, that God gets his Israel, his nation. That is our one goal. Amen. And the enemy tries to trip us up along the way, with that, uh, along the way to that goal with distractions, with worrying about this and worried about that, what you don't have, what you think you need. No, we have one goal, and we have a sovereign God, and we have everything that we need, possessing everything. Remember, if you don't remember anything else, remember that you're appointed for the difficulty. 
You're appointed not to die in the midst of difficulty. You're appointed to stand in the midst of difficulty like the deer. Ibrahim, you're appointed to stand. Miss Mandy, you're appointed to stand joyfully, radiant. This is what this body is called to, a joyful warfare, a faith-filled warfare that does not sway in the midst of circumstance. Church, we do not change because our God does not change. This is true Thanksgiving. We're going to eat tomorrow and it's going to be great. But what's more than that, we're going to grow in our thankfulness of our God. We're going to grow in meditating on his faithfulness, on his sovereignty in each and every situation. And we're not going to lose a fixed value any day of the week. We're going to grow in our revelation of the sovereignty of God. Church, a true Thanksgiving, like the one that we're talking about, yeah, it's difficult. It's hard. It's expensive. But it's valuable. It's worth it. Giving up our lives in the midst of real difficulties is expensive. But it's valuable. The same kind of value that Habakkuk put on God's name. Possessing everything. He has appointed us to stand in dark days. As we read our last scripture from Psalm 36, listen to this. Pick it up in verse 7. How priceless is your unfailing love, O Lord. People take refuge in the shadow of your wings. They feast on the abundance of your house. You give them drink from the river of delights. For with you is the fountain of life, and in your light we see light. LCM, we have been given an abundance of opportunities to live in true thankfulness. Not because it's, gonna, it's Thanksgiving tomorrow, but every single day we've been given opportunities to praise the name of our Lord. It says, enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. That's not based on November. That's based on the faithfulness of our king, and that's daily. LCM, we've been given an abundance of opportunities to demonstrate our confidence in the sovereignty of our God. The situations that we're facing, the circumstances that we're standing in, it may, they, may, they may not be any fig trees or your flocks are not there like Habakkuk is describing in chapter 3. But yet, we are going to be joyful. We are going to rejoice in our king and we will find strength in the midst of it and he will direct our path. LCM, you are being given the opportunity to walk in the light of God's revelation and you will see light everywhere when you do that. See, it's never been the most expensive Thanksgiving like everyone else is talking about out there. Not the first time. It's not the first time, not in the days of the pilgrims. And it's not the first time for the people of God. We've always been in this position. And you know what our response must be. We're just learning. It is rejoicing. And we're just learning that this is the beginning of how we pay with our joy. And the more it costs us, the more it will be worth it to us. Amen. Leonard Ravenhill says something extraordinary. He said, a relationship with God that costs you nothing is worth nothing and does nothing. LCM, I can say confidently in this room, we have a relationship with our king that is absolutely worth something. Amen. And it costs us and it's worth it. We hope that this Thanksgiving is the most expensive Thanksgiving you've ever had. Would you guys stand to your feet?
Some of you guys will be visiting your relatives or you'll invite your relatives over tomorrow. I want to encourage you. Elevate the conversation. Be joyful. Speak life in the midst of it. They'll probably want to talk about football in the news. No, let's talk about the word. Let me share with you the difficulties that we're engaging in. And let me tell you about the joy that I have in my God. LCM, this is the way of life that we must cultivate. We can be joyful because we know the outcome of what's about to happen. We can be hopeful because we know in whom we trust and the sovereignty of our king. He can say in Genesis 3, this is what's going to happen. And he absolutely fulfills it. LCM, we can be confident because we have been appointed to stand on the heights and get this, overcome. And we absolutely will. So as we get ready to, to close this message and dive into second worship, I'm going to ask you guys one thing. Don't come to the altar. Well, I've been bold. I have to come to the altar again. To, no, don't come to the altar. If you haven't been joyful, start being joyful in your seat right now. So as we worship, as we, as we pray and we worship, point your faces towards heaven. Point your mouth towards heaven and smile for the good things that God is doing in this body. Father, we thank you for your great, we thank you for your kindness. Lord, we thank you that we have joy, Lord God, through your ancient scriptures that fill us. Lord, we love you. We glorify you, mighty God. We thank you for your sovereign hand in the name of Jesus.